A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we're going to dive into our best team of the NRL era of the Newcastle Knights. Obviously a champion club. They've won two premierships. One of their premierships was in 97, of course, just before the NRL era began. But of course, a lot of the players that did feature in that 97 premiership were still playing in 98 onwards. So a lot of those guys will get a mention. Obviously, they won in 2001 too, another championship team. So a lot of guys to go through here. I'm joined once again by Clarkie. Welcome back, brother. How are we? Good, thank you, Guru. Good to be back, guys. Knights are a really, really interesting one, like you said. Their first premiership, they just missed the cutoff, but a lot of them were involved in the 2001 premiership. There's a few positions for the Knights where, you know, there's no really guessing who the option is, such as half-back, hooker, etc. But really, outside of those positions, there's a, a lot of positions here that are up for debate. Um, and so I think this is going to be a great episode. And another team that, uh, you know, they might not have the depth of the Melbourne Storm, but, geez, there's some quality players that have missed out on this side once again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be the general case for most teams where we will be missing, um, you know, some gun players. But the Knights in particular, there are some fantastic players here where if someone was to say, hey, they should be an over X player, then, you know, we wouldn't push back on it too much. There's definitely room for debate within this squad. And there's only one player from the current squad, mate. One only. And uh, I think it'll be someone different to what a lot of people will be expecting, right? Yeah, definitely. The one player that we have got from the current squad will, I think, in some ways be controversial. I think some people won't agree with it. But when you go over his career and, you know, what he's been able to do for the club for a a longer time than people realise at the moment, then I think his selection makes sense. Mate, take us through the criteria once again. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done one of those. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners at home, selection criteria, guys, instead of this being sort of centered around a greatest lineup, we're more so looking at the best possible lineup you could create. And so the criteria for that, we're looking at players being selected where they played their best football. An example, you wouldn't select Jonathan Thurston in your Bulldog side. Players must have played in the NRL era, 98 onwards. Team structures must make sense, guys. So we're not going to carry four wingers on the bench. Every player selected is assumed to be at their absolute prime when they're at their absolute peak. 
And of course, guys, all selections are our own, completely subjective, just our own opinion, which is why this series is so exciting because we love hearing from you guys on our Instagrams, Facebooks and um, the likes there. Mate, uh, let's dive into this side. And uh, the first player that we've selected at fullback. Now, I did say that we've picked one player from the modern team. I'm sure a lot of people might have been expecting KP, but we've gone for Robbie O'Davis here. And uh, champion player Robbie O'Davis, he played in the 97 and in the 2001 side, I believe. Robbie, he won the Clive Churchill medal in 97, scored two tries on that day, two pretty impressive tries as well. He scores one off a scrum from memory, and it was an outstanding try. And in... Typical Robbie O'Davis form stands up and we got the full show, the dance and everything. He's always been a real showman, hasn't he? He has. Robbie O'Davis is a very, very exciting player, um, just like Kalen Ponga is. And I think Kalen Ponga will get there one day potentially over O'Davis. But just looking at what we know now, we know Robbie O'Davis is a premiership winner. We know he's got 20 rep games for Australia and Queensland. Um, in the World Cup final there for Australia, I remember he was actually on the bench and he, he didn't get off the bench, but um, did play three games in Australia for a World Cup as well. A Clive Churchill medalist. Um, so, you know, off form and off what we know, Robbie O'Davis does edge Kalen Ponga out, at least for now. And, mate, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that over the next few years, it wouldn't shock me if we do have KP in this side over Robbie O'Davis. He's just such a freakish talent. But, Robbie. Mate, 223 games, two premierships. Uh, you know, they've only won two premierships. He's featured in both of them. There's not a heap of guys that have featured in both of them. Um, it's a pretty impressive perform, uh, a, a pretty impressive accomplishment. And, of course, I mean, six games for the Kangaroos, uh, a heap of games for Queensland as well, 12 games for Queensland. Uh, pretty damn impressive career, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, having been starting in both the ninth premiership wins, which the 97 one, obviously, we can't count in this side because it's just before the cutoff. But, you know, just looking at purely the Knights' best ever players, um, Robbie Davis would be up there. You know, there's an argument that he could be top five potentially. I think there's only four or five players that have played over 200 games for the Knights. He is one of them. Um, you know, he's got a Clive Churchill there involved in a starting role and a prominent role in both their premierships. So, Robbie O'Davis, rightly so in this team, and, you know, rightly so up there in the debate for one of the best ever Knights. Mate, uh, our first winger, and obviously in all these teams, we've got to pick two wingers. We've actually picked three. We've got one guy that was a certainty, and then we've got the other two that we simply couldn't split. The one that we picked as a certainty, and I think people forget just how good he was at Newcastle, was Tamana Tahu. Uh, started his career in 1999 with the Newcastle Knights, stayed there until the end of 2004, Mate, his career at the Knights was unreal. 126 games. He scored 93 tries. Almost 100 tries in, what, five or six seasons. Incredible. Yeah, and when I think of someone like Tamana Tahu, I'm thinking of raw athleticism. Someone that just finds a way against the odds sometimes. And he scores tries that, you know, you can be the most consistent winger in the world. But unless you've got that raw freak X-factor athleticism sort of build, you know, Tamana Tahu definitely has that. Another thing that's interesting is the amount of tries you mentioned he scored. Now, the man will get to um, soon. His centre pairing for a lot of that time obviously set him up for a lot of those. But Tahu was such a great finisher where his inside centre would draw the winger in, get the pass to Tahu, and Tahu would find a way to the line there. 17 rep games for New South Wales and Australia and four Wallabies caps um, for the Australian Wallabies and Rugby Union. So, um, Samana Tahu, absolute freak across his whole career. And a lot of people might not remember, but in his final ever game in the NRL, he came off the bench. I can't remember who got injured, but he came off the bench and he finished his NRL with two tries off the bench. So I guess that shows that he carried that sort of freaky chef athleticism 
over the uh, course of his entire career. And, mate, I think we're going to change our structure a little bit here because it's such a special occasion to have these two. You did mention his centre for a long time. We'll dive into him now. Matt Gidley, these two, the combo they had was unreal. Matt Gidley's obviously very well known for his right-hand flick pass. Uh, it became a mainstay in rugby league. And still to this day, whenever I see someone, especially a guy like Joey Manu, like, you know, put, put his arm over the, the, the winger defender that comes in on him and then flick it out the back, I straight away, I always say Matt Gidley, and all my mates do the exact same thing as well. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's, it's one of those really, really special plays where he's done it so often, so consistently, so well, that it's stood the test of time. Every now and then we'll see a player put on a fancy sidestep and straight away we go, oh, that's the Benji step. Sometimes, oh, that's the two of us, a chef step, um, et cetera, et cetera. And like you said, when we see a player get that right-hand flick these days, we go, oh, that's the Gidley flick. And, you know, for someone to be remembered for a move that they were just so consistent at, so awesome at, be it a flick pass, um, you know, big tackling technique, um, scoring in the corner, whatever it is, to be remembered for it and to stand the test of time, um, I think that's a really, really great compliment there to Matt Gidley. And, you know, if someone was to sit there and put together the stats, I believe Matt Gidley, or here I've got in front of me, 65 tries. Now, I would love to see the try assist tally um, because a, a lot of those tries to Manatahu was involved in directly came from an offload from Matt Gidley. So I would be really, really interested to see the try assist stats. Um, but overall, just an, a magnificent combination where they just knew each other's game inside out and it often worked. Mate, you took the words out of my mouth and I was just about ready to say I'd love to see the try assist stats for him because, I, you know, there was he just laid on a try each and every week and it, it didn't matter what level they were playing at. I remember in the 2001 grand final, he set up a brilliant try for Tamana Tahu. It was a flick pass that sort of hit the ground. Tahu, he showed some unbelievable skill to get to that. I think it was just before halftime in the 01 grand final. The Origin Arena, they did it on a number of occasions as well for New South Wales. A very impressive combo. Mate, let's move to the other wing. And as I said, there was two guys here that we simply couldn't separate. One of them, probably because, you know, he obviously holds a moment in history. It was in 97, but, I mean, we still got to take into consideration their, their whole career, obviously. Uh, and it was at the Newcastle Knights as well. Darren Albert scored that unbelievable try where Joey Johns goes down the short side. He, he gets the market a bite on him. An unbelievable moment that I think we'll never forget in rugby league history. No, we certainly won't forget that moment. And, you know, when we go to our criteria of players at their absolute peak, well, Darren Albert's peak was winning his side, the premiership. And so, you know, I don't think you can get much more of a peak than that. An exceptional player for so many years, but undoubtedly um, will always be remembered. And especially the commentary at the time. I, I believe it's also on YouTube, um, a local radio station in Newcastle are commentating. And when Darren Albert gets the ball, they can't believe it. And then it skips to a shot of the Newcastle Leagues Club and you can just see the fans erupt. It's a magnificent moment. If anyone wants to watch that, I believe it's out there on YouTube. Now, mate, obviously Darren Albert, he holds that unbelievable moment. It's probably the greatest moment in Newcastle history, potentially the greatest moment in rugby league history, you could argue. But the other guy that we've picked equal with him, and I think people will probably scoff at this, but I think people forget just how good Aquila Uate was at his absolute peak for the Newcastle Knights. People have to remember, he was the Dalian winger of the year 2010, 2011 and 2012. That's three years in a row. Those three years in a row, he scored 21 tries, 20 tries and 18 tries. He scored more than 10 tries six seasons in a row. Mate, Aku was an absolute freak. Yeah, and another winger like uh, probably a little bit um, different to Tamana Tahu in some ways, but also had that freakish athleticism. A great finisher, 
And, you know, now we see so many magnificent Fiji and outside backs in our game and in rugby, such as your Vunavalus and such as your Rod Rogers, Sevos, et cetera. But Uate really burst into the scene like something we hadn't seen too much before. We had seen it, but to the extent of Vikuli Uate, it's hard to argue. Now, I'll straight away, I'll get the con out of the way because there's a pro and con to this. The con of Uate's game was he did have a silly error or two in him very often. Um, there's tries where there's no one in front of him and he's dropped it over the line before. Um, but once we look past that and we go back to our criteria of selecting at their peak, arguably at his peak, Uate was the most dangerous wing. I won't say he was the best wing in the game, but most dangerous, most, most likely to create something, most likely to score from nothing. Uate went on to reach double figures for six straight seasons in terms of tries. As you said, Guru, Dalian winger of the year for three consecutive years in that time playing for Australia and New South Wales. So when you lay the facts forward and you, you know you, you scrub out the error or two that Uate did have in his game, if we're talking at his absolute peak, Uate was unstoppable. I thought as well, mate, over the last 18 months, especially obviously with a decade just finishing and we saw a lot of people name their team of the decade and Aquila Uate featured in, in a number of them and the amount of people that pushed back on his name being there and I think it comes down to, you know, from about 2014, 2015 onwards, as you said, a lot of errors, a lot of defensive issues as well with Aquila the entire time but, mate, prior to that, those first three or four years, he was unmatched as far as wingers go. Like, there was just no one else that was on his level. He was on unstoppable. Mate, uh, let's dive into our other centre. And uh, one of the great characters of our game, Mad Dog McDougal. Um, I guess the thing that I'll always remember him for is the ridiculous, constant running battle he had with Wendell Saylor. And I mean, if you stuck these blokes next to each other, how on earth Adam McDougal ever kept up with Wendell Saylor just being the absolute juggernaut that he is. I mean, I would assume he's faster. I would assume he's stronger. He's bigger. He's it just everything falls in the favor of Wendell Saylor in this contest. But Adam McDougal, mate, he was tough as nails and fuck, couldn't he play? Absolutely. And I mean, if you look up the word mad dog in the urban dictionary, it's someone who just competes on everything. Someone that fights for every inch. And, you know, when, when you think of someone like Adam McDougal, that definitely sums him up. Hence the nickname. One thing I will say about McDougal, um, injury, you know, troubles throughout his whole career. He actually only notched up more than 20 games in a season just twice. And he played 17 years in the NRL. So injury is obviously a part of his career throughout the whole career, really. But I guess that goes back to how he played the game and the fact that he never backed down from no one. And, you know, I've got no, no doubt that he played several games injured just from his play style and how tough he was. 22 rep games for Australia and New South Wales all up. And one thing I really loved about the Mad Dog was he did, I believe it was the South. He left to the Rabbitohs for one stage of his career, but then he came home and he returned his career. Sorry, he finished his career uh, with the Knights. And I do really like to see that where players play a majority of their club, uh, their career at a club. They might leave for a big money contract or they might leave for salary cap or for some reason they leave the club, but then they come home and finish their career there. That's something that I really love to see in rugby league. I think, mate, there's also so many great stories about Mad Dog over the years. I mean, I've heard the ones about apparently before he a game, he used to sit in a corner of a change room on his own and he would be whispering to his thighs, just saying, don't let me down today, don't let me down today. And apparently the boys would just have to avoid him like the play because he was just in such a state talking to his own legs. There's also the story at the 97 grand final. Uh, I can't remember what it was. I think they ran out of premiership rings or I think they gave them 
to the extended squad as well and the coaching staff and everything. And a few of the players missed out at the time. They had to get more. And there's a there's a photo of, of the whole team as they got the trophy in front of them. They're celebrating. And you can see Mad Dog in the corner and he's got his head turned. And there's a whole story that goes behind it that at the time, he's spraying the bloke that was handing out the rings. Turns out it was the Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> a very, very unique character. And oh my God, I guess that story there really does sum it up spraying the Prime Minister for accidentally handing out one too many rings. Yeah, I, I guess that they don't coin the Mad Dog for nothing, right? Mate, uh, it fits him absolutely perfectly. Now, talk about unique characters. We're going to dive into a set of brothers that make up our halves, and no real shocks here. Let's start with Matty Johns first, mate. And um, I, I quite often think with Matt Johns that we forget just how much of a good footballer he was. He's obviously done a lot in the media post his career, but as a footballer, Matty Johns was unreal. I think people forget just the, you, you got to think about when Matt Johns came along. I mean, Laurie Daly, Brad Fittler, these sort of guys that would dominate. I mean, you, you literally had, sometimes Brad Fittler was so good, they had to pick Laurie Daly at centre. Sometimes Laurie Daly was so good, they had to pick Freddie at lock. And then you had Matty Johns, who was just going about his business the entire time. Still played a fair whack of games for the Kangaroos, nine-odd games for the Kangaroos, four games for New South Wales. Uh, always did a great job and was sort of always, obviously, overshadowed a little bit by his brother. And I think people forget in 97... The week before that, they play the North Sydney Bears. Matty Johns kicks a winning field goal to get them into that grand final when Joey was injured. So as much as we remember 97 for the heroics of Joey, I mean, if he didn't deliver the winning play the week before, mate, it's a completely different game. We could be talking about the North Sydney Bears versus the Manly Seagulls in that grand final. Absolutely. I think how you summed it up there was really, really good. Matthew Johns, someone who was probably overshadowed by two things. One, his brother. And two, his amazing career in the media. Um, whether that's, you know, on Fox or as Reg Reagan and some of his comedy skits, uh, uh, skits, sorry, it does overshadow his rugby league career when it really squared shouldn't, like you said. Um, if the roles are reversed there, if the Darren Albert play is, you know, the, the preliminary and then Matthew Johns is the one kicking the, uh, the field goal, then, oh my God, you know, the, the, it changes everything. Unfortunately for Matty Johns, he did miss out on the 01 grand final. 2000 was the year where the Knights started to have a few salary cap um, issues and so Sean Rudder came in. He ended up playing 131 games for the night nights, but I think overall when you compare him at his peak compared to Matty Johns, and there's no real um, competition there. Matty Johns still makes our greatest possible lineup quite comfortably. Um, interesting fact though, Matty Johns did play in a grand final in 2001, but it was the Super League grand final, and ended up losing that to the Bradford Bulls. However, I think in a different reality, if the Knights didn't have salary cap issues and Matty Johns was to remain at the Knights in 2001, I still think they win the grand final with Matty Johns there. Yeah, without a doubt. I think it says a lot about the skill set of Matty Johns that you you still nowadays have, you know, Craig Bellamy, Trent Robinson, you know, you've got everyone in the league that wants to send their halves to spend some time with Matty Johns. And I mean, from hearing him talk about guys, it sounds like they just show up at his doorstep and he throws some shoes on and they go down to the local park and he transforms their game. It's incredible. Yeah, I think Matty Johns, if he wasn't such a prominent figure on the television, would have a genuine career in coaching. Um, when Cooper Cronk was coming through, who we associate with being one of the greatest halfbacks ever, when he was actually coming through, he was a hooker. And it was Matthew Johns who was working with him so closely at the Storm and who helped his transition into the halves. Um, I can't think of many more to talk about, but I know Matthew Johns has worked with some prominent halves over the years. And seasons after he's worked with them, they've gone on to have incredible season so when you look at it that way the proof is in the pudding that Matty Johns would be a fantastic coach 
Um, but I do think at the moment he's sitting on a pretty pretty wicket there on Fox Sport. Oh, mate, he's too smart to go and coach. Let's be honest here. Mate, let's move to his brother, uh, Joey Johns. Obviously an immortal of our game. One of the greatest we've ever seen. I've spoken about him an absolute heap on my podcast recently. And, you know, as we said, not many guys played in the 97 and the 2001. Joey, I mean, he delivered the winning play in 97. Uh, he was the Clive Churchill medalist in 2001. Just an incredible career from Joey. Yeah, and when we started this podcast, I said there's a few positions in this where we didn't have to think about it. And, you know, when we put Andrew Johns as the greatest night seven ever, um, there's no other pick you can say that's correct. There just isn't. It has to be Andrew Johns because not, you know, quite possibly the greatest player ever, let alone the greatest Knights player, let alone their best halfback. I think his selection obviously picks itself an immortal of our game. But to go over some of Joey's accomplishments, I wanted to read out a few records that he holds at the Knights and some of his individual records just to remind our listeners how magnificent this bloke was. He holds the record for the most points in a match for the Knights at 34. The most tries in a match for the Knights at four. The most goals in a match at 11. The most points in a season for the Knights. The most first-grade appearances for the Knights. The most points for the Knights. He won the Dalian medal three times. He won the Proven Summons, so the player's player. Uh, sorry, the fan's best player five times in his career. He won the Golden Boot twice, and he's a Clive Churchill medalist. So um, absolutely crazy when you look at it that way. Mate, uh, I was actually having a look at his career the other day, and... Um... One thing that I found incredible, and it's something I haven't really heard anyone talk about before, I dropped it on my podcast the other day, Rugby League Week, for years, <clears throat> they used to do every single game, they would give every single player rating 1 to 10. And they did this for years, and then at the end of every season, they'd pick their best 13 based off those rankings. And then out of those rankings, they would pick the top five players from that season. And this went from 1987 until Rugby League Week shut its doors in, I don't know, what that would been 2014 or something like that, only a couple of years ago now. Joey Johns, mate, he, he obviously had a, had a long career, but it also got cut short by four or five years there, realistically, when he was post-30. Like, he still played, but he didn't really get to achieve all that much in that time. In the years that he was fit and available... A guy like Alan Langer, he obviously played an entire career at a Brisbane Broncos team that was unbelievable. He was in the top five players five times. Joey was in it six times. See, that is unbelievable. Yeah, most definitely. I think we all miss the old rugby league week. And I think you know, when you sum it up how you just did and you look at the current M system, you know, he only won the M medal three times. But there's a real argument there that if we operated on a more accurate voting system, then... Joey Johns could realistically have Dalian medals times six. And, you know, there's not too much you can push back on because when he was at his peak, he was the best player. It was as simple as that. I remember being a kid and I asked my dad, who's the best player? And he didn't have to hesitate. It's Andrew Johns' son. Um, I actually got into football because of Andrew Johns. Such was his impact on so many young kids. So rightfully an immortal, rightfully up there with the greatest uh, ever in our game debate and rightfully the number seven in this list. And I think as well, mate, just all the off-field stories, it just adds to the legend, doesn't it? It definitely does. And, you know, I hear a lot of people push, oh, he shouldn't be an immortal. He was a drug cheat. No, he wasn't. He was taking drugs that would hinder your performance as opposed to, you know, give you more of an advantage. If you're taking party pills before you're playing footy, you're not getting an advantage. You know, there's a lot of negatives associated with those sort of drugs. And so when people sit there and try to use that as an excuse. I just don't buy it for one moment. 
And I think also, mate, like just all the other stories you hear about him that he got up to throughout his career. Like I heard one a few months ago that he was, they went over to New Zealand to play the Warriors and, and they played them on the Saturday night. And I think they lost or they or they won and they played poorly. Regardless, Michael Hagan, he wasn't happy. And he told them all that when they got home, they weren't allowed to go out. They had to go straight to bed. Anyway, he said, I forget who was telling the story. It, it, it might have been Cooper Johns. He was saying that because he was playing with Jared Mullen, who was the 5'8 at the time when he was really young. And he said that Joey was rooming with Jared Mullen. And um, Jared he, jo, Joey said to him, mate, I'm, I'm going out. If I'm not back in the morning, pack my bags and put them on the bus. And Jared Mullen just went, fuck, please don't do this. I'm going to get in trouble, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Joey goes out, doesn't come back. Jared Mullen gets a text in the morning saying, can you pack my bags, put them on the bus? So Jared Mullen walks down with a bag in each hand. <laughs> and Michael Hagen sees him and goes, where the fuck is Joey? He goes, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. Puts him on the bus. Michael Hagen's filthy. He gets on the bus and he looks on the back seat and Joey's lying down on the back seat. And Joey sits up and Hagen goes, where the fuck have you been? And he goes, what do you care? Are you going to drop me? Just <laughs> so good. Oh, just unreal. Like he just, he just owned every single moment. He knew how good he was, but he backed it up every single time. Unbelievable. I think that's the biggest thing about Joey. You know, we hear all the crazy off-field stories, but you know, there's not a game you can point to where he didn't play very well. He was a player that, you know, he could talk the talk, but he could definitely walk the walk and he backed it up every single game. Mate, let's move into the engine room here. And the first guy we've got is uh, Tony Butterfield and another guy that I think he's probably only appreciated by the Newcastle people. A uh, guy that uh, when you hear guys name their best teams or whatever it might be, the name is never thrown up. He's never mentioned around the best front rowers that we've seen. But he was part of the Newcastle Knights from 1988. He was at the Penrith Panthers before that for a couple of games. But one of the guys that started this club featured in the 1997 side and then unfortunately retired in 2000. So he just missed the 0-1 team as well. Just a legend of Newcastle. Yeah, probably a player that's underappreciated by rugby league fans as a whole. But uh, I do think most Knights fans appreciate his value and the fact that he was a foundation player and played right up to the year 2000. There is an argument that Tony Butterfield didn't play his best football in the NRL era. Um, but I would counter that by saying he only played one game for the Blues, and that was in 1998. And from 1998 to 2000, he was actually the captain of the club. So I think there is a definite argument for Tony Butterfield belonging in this squad. Obviously, if we're going by the peak of their powers, then you can toss up some you know, fresher names and newer talents, such as a David Clemmer, et cetera. But the one thing I love about Tony Butterfield is, as I said, he's the last of an era of the real tough bastards that were just tough as nails. Tough bastard, tough as nails. That's probably the best way to sum up this bloke, um, a real Aussie battler. And I think he's also one of those guys that if you got the average punter to name their best Newcastle team, I reckon the vast majority of them forget about Tony Butterfield. But if you ask Newcastle fans to name him, I reckon he's in 99% of teams. Yeah, I would 100% back that. As we were saying, he, he is a little bit underappreciated when it comes to um, his service to the club. Obviously, service um, to a club isn't something we've factored into our criteria. But if that was something that was factored in, then he'd be one of the first selected. So many years at the club, so many years consistently for the club. And because he wasn't being selected for the Blues or Australia, et cetera, and the likes, more than often he was available for selection there, giving his absolute all for the night, week in, week out. The other front row we've gone for, uh, potentially a controversial one here, obviously only played 20 games of the NRL era. 
But Paul Harrigan, I mean, just <laughs> without a doubt, the greatest front rower this club has had. Um, if it wasn't for Joey, I think he'd be the greatest captain this club has ever had. Um, just a true leader, and he just had to be in this team, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I, don't, I think if Paul Harrigan played one game in the NL era, he would have been in this side, you know, known as the chief, and that sums up his leadership. Um, he was a leader of leaders. Someone who, if the team was down and the chips were not in their favor and it wasn't going their way, could have that inspirational big tackle or that inspirational hit up and, and really lift his troops with him and influence the momentum of a rugby league game. And I think, mate, I, I mean, as much as he only played just past 98, was still playing for the Kangaroos, then was still playing for New South Wales. 17 games for the Kangaroos, 20 for the New South Wales Blues. No stranger to a stink either. Yes, definitely. One of the best... Um, one of the best at the Biff in rugby league history. If we were naming our, um, you know, the, the blokes you'd want in a in a pub fight next year, then Chief Harrigan probably topped that list. And I think also, like, obviously, once again, before 98, but that 97 grand final, one of the greatest storylines heading into that game was, of course, Chief versus Spud Carroll. Um, during the mid-90s, that rivalry they had, like, still looking back at some of those highlights now, it's some of the best rugby league we've ever seen. Yeah, most definitely. When we talk about, you know, two enforcers of their club, doing everything they can to lift their team and, and, and swing momentum in their favour. And, you know, we, we look at two enforcers doing that. Then, you know, Spud Carroll and Chief Harrigan, probably one of the greatest rivalries we've ever had in our sport. Um, they were just two men that refused to take a backward step. They would do anything to win for their side. And when you put two men that are that competitive against each other, then the result's going to speak for itself. Mate, let's dive into our hooker position and... Another one very similar to the halfback spot in this side. This guy picks himself. Uh, very interesting. Obviously, Danny Badiris, he arrived at the Newcastle Knights, I believe, as a halfback, centre, maybe even a fullback. They didn't know what he was. And then I think it's 97 where Steve Walters arrives at the club. He gets injured. His career finishes. And they sort of they start the transition of turning Danny Badiris into a hooker with the help of Steve Walters. And, mate, he goes on to be one of the best hookers we've ever seen. I mean, a guy that I think is just so unlucky that his career sort of fell into the path of the great Cameron Smith, another one of these hookers that has just been swallowed up. Of course, thankfully, Danny Badiris, he had a number of years playing State of Origin for New South Wales. He wasn't a Queenslander, so he had that advantage uh, to his side. But he's just so unlucky to come along at, at around about the same time as Cam Smith. Most definitely. And I would say Danny Badiris, for me, is the second best hooker I've personally seen play. But as you said, he was in the Cameron Smith era and the Queenslanders used to sledge him. There's a clip on YouTube where you'll see Justice Hodges point at Danny Bideris and say, you're number two, he's number one. And he points to Cameron Smith there, obviously. One thing about Danny Bideris was before Cameron Smith, he was the first hooker to ever win the Dally M Player of the Year in 2004. So he will always have that. Um, he's within the Rugby League Hall of Fame, rightfully so. I don't think someone like Danny will ever push for a mortal status, but being in the Hall of Fame is absolutely incredible within its own right. And another one of those players that when I said at the start, you can lock someone, some uh, players in for certain positions. I was obviously referring to someone like Andrew Johns and Danny Badiris. When we talk about these two, um, possibly the two greatest nights ever, I would say. And there's just, if you don't have Danny Badiris and Andrew Johns as your seven and nine, then I, I just can't agree with it. I think there's no right answer besides these two, if it's anything to do with the greatest night side. 
I think it was really interesting, mate. I, I, I saw a clip from Channel 9 a while ago that had Freddie and Joey talking, and they were asked who was the best player they played with. And I think Freddie went for Brandy when he was early on in his career. I'm, I'm not sure if he didn't pick Joey because he was sitting next to him. But I know that Joey, he straight away said Danny Badiris. Uh, I think that says a lot about him, doesn't it? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. They had a great combination together. Look, Danny Badiris, without a doubt, until Cameron Smith came along for at least I want to say five or six years there. Danny Padiris was the best hooker in the world. Um, I don't think there'll be too many people that would push back on that. Let's move into our back row. And um, I think the beauty of this back row is that they're both Newcastle boys, uh, which is really what the Newcastle Knights have been built on for so long. Obviously, that 97 Premiership had so many local juniors. 2001 had a heap as well. Um, this The first guy we're going to talk about is Steve Simpson. Uh, I, for me, I think he's criminally underrated. I also think he's underrated by me, to be perfectly honest with you. I never, Whenever I'm thinking about the best back rowers, I never really think Steve Simpson. But whenever you hear the other guys that are in these rep teams talk about Steve Simpson, he sounds like he was an unreal teammate. Eight games for the Kangaroos. 13 for New South Wales, 216 first-grade games, and, of course, played a huge role in that 2001 premiership-winning season. He played 29 games that season, a pretty impressive knock. Yeah, very impressive season, and then capped it off with an incredible performance in the grand final, scored a try, and then he also had that try-saving tackle there on Bobcat Ryan, I believe it was. So, you know, when you put those two stats together, big, big game. One thing that I will say for Steve Simpson was he didn't have the explosiveness all the craftiness, all the raw talent of the man we will mention next. But Steve Simpson was sort of, I would say that tireless back row or that tireless forward that would go through more tackles than most, that would um, get dirty, get his, get his jersey dirty and just work hard for the full 80. And I think whenever you look at any composition of any premiership winning side, everyone needs a Steve Simpson within it to win the premiership. Someone that will go all day, a workhorse that isn't necessarily going to be in the highlights reel. Um, the stats might not necessarily show his impact on the game, but someone like Steve Simpson, he worked tirelessly throughout all 12 of his year, uh, years at the night. So, and he only retired when he was 32, so he probably did have a few more good seasons in him, if I'm honest. Mate, we mentioned another Newcastle local, and of course it's Ben Kennedy. Now, BK, you probably could have picked him at the, as the lock forward. You probably could have picked him as the second row, which is where we've got him. Uh, obviously, he featured in the 2001 Grand Final. I believe he scored the first try that night off the top of my head. But for me, I thought he was incredibly lucky, unlucky in 2001 not to get the Clive Churchill. I've always said that I don't think Joey didn't deserve it. But I'll tell you what, if you weren't going to give it to Joey, it was Ben Kennedy and then Daylight to everyone else. And that really capped off a 2001 season where Ben Kennedy probably announced himself as if not the best back rower in the world right up there scored in the grand final was absolutely prominent throughout that entire grand final and so if someone was to say who was the second best player to Joey Johns that day I'd have to agree with you Ben Kennedy probably does um, deserve that honour and when I spoke about Steve Simpson earlier I said you know Simpson was the workhorse Ben Kennedy was probably the more explosive back row um, the one that you know would end up on the highlight reel and 
Um, I think when you have these two complementing each other in any rugby league side, there's going to be success. I think we forget how good that 2001 season was. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say this year that David Fafita, I think he's become the second player ever to score um, two two hat-tricks in a season with Steve Menzies, who, of course, is one of the greatest try scorers we've ever seen. 2001, Ben Kennedy scored 17 tries. He scored one hat-trick, but he had four doubles as well. So four times he came within one try of being level with those guys. And, I mean, you look at Ben Kennedy... You know, he's not the same sort of explosive sort of footballer as David Fafita. He's not the same, you know, he's not the guy that could shift out to centre like Steve Menzies or had the unbelievable support play of Steve Menzies. So for him to score 17 tries in that season, unbelievable. And what stands out for me is he played three finals games. He scored five tries in the finals, so he saved his best performances for the biggest stages. A big game player, and, you know, when you put it that way, he probably sits in the middle of a Steve Menzies and a David Fafita. You know, he could play a little bit wider than most back rowers. He could come into the middle and get his hands dirty as a middle forward, um, as shown by his several games at lock forward. So I think, you know, when, when we look at try scoring forwards, it probably was Steve Menzies, Ben Kennedy, 17 tries from 29 games that year, and then David Fafita, obviously, now. And I think, you know, I'd probably put Ben Kennedy a build where takes attributes from David Fafita and um, Steve Menzies and compliments it very well. Mate, at lock forward, we've gone for Jeremy Smith. Uh, obviously a guy that he didn't play a heap of footy at Newcastle. I think he played enough to make a real impact. He, he arrived at the Newcastle Knights, obviously, during a pretty tough era for, for them as well. It uh, wasn't an overly great time for them. But the three or four years he was there, I thought the impact that he had on them was unbelievable. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, without him there, they did struggle a lot. But he did offer a... At that stage of his career, I think he played probably around 150 games, maybe just under. Um, and he had played some rep football for the New Zealand um, Kiwis up until that stage. And so that nice team was very, very young. They obviously struggled. They obviously won the wooden spoons there. But one thing we can say about Jeremy Smith was in 2016, when he retired, he was a co-captain of the club. So he was a genuine leader there. And, you know, he might not have necessarily played his best football at the Knights, but he still played some very, very good football. And his leadership was another aspect that won't show up in the stat sheet, um, but it definitely had an influence and an impact on his football side. He's another guy that I think when we think Jeremy Smith at Newcastle, we sort of remember the back end of his time there where they were sort of battling a little bit. But, mate, he played a prominent role in that 2013 side that went all the way to the prelim final that Wayne Bennett was coaching. Definitely. And it was a good signing. You know, in 2012, he was the um, New Zealand Kiwis player of the year. Um, during 2012, I think the Kiwis were either ranked first or second for World Rugby League. So, you know, you were looking at a player that was released from the Sharks due to personal reasons, came on the market, and then obviously the Knights knew that this is a man that we need to sign. They signed him for good reason, and he ended up with 75 games at the club, and all of those were very, very important in terms of his leadership. Now, mate, we obviously mentioned before that, um, you know, in the back row, we picked two homegrown Newcastle boys, and that's what Newcastle's built on. We mentioned before we had the Johns brothers, obviously both from Newcastle, and in this best 17, we also have another set of brothers that are Newcastle born and bred. Matt Gidley and Kurt Gidley is wearing jersey 14. He's the first guy named on our bench, our, our utility player. What a career for Kurt Gidley, mate. 250 games for the Newcastle Knights. He could play halfback, 5'8", fullback, hooker. Fuck, you could throw him in the centres and he'd handle himself just fine. A guy that went on to captain not only Newcastle, but also his state. An incredible career from Kirk Gidley. Yeah, I think Kirk Gidley, across his, across his career, there's an argument that he was probably a victim of his versatility because he was so versatile and could play anywhere. It sort of 
you know, he, I would say he struggled a little bit to lock down a consistent starting role. But, um, you know, he established himself in this night side um, in 2002. Um, and he was there for, he was a key member there for well over a decade there. Um, he didn't get the premiership ring in 2001 like his brother, Matt. Uh, but I think when we're talking about someone with incredible service that played for his state, played for his country, um, captained the club during this time, then Kirkie Lee on his versatility and those merits, um, he's the perfect 14 for this lineup. I think also at Kirkie Lee, mate, the one thing I'll always remember, obviously a reasonably handy goal kicker himself. He kicked 452 goals at 78%, pretty handy. But, mate, he's the only right footer I've seen that consistently used to swing his ball left to right. It was unbelievable. Yeah, and, you know, he probably that's probably not the only thing that he was unorthodox throughout his career, Kirk Gidley. Um, My most memorable Kirk Gidley moment is probably actually a low light, if I'm honest. I'll never forget the time when Ben Craig stirred up a fight with the Maroons and they just decided, you know what, that's it, let's kick the ball. And it was poor Kirk Gidley filling in at fullback there at the time for the, uh, for the Blues. And oh, I'll never forget that moment from Kirk's career. He was brave. He knew what was coming. But he said, stuff it. I'm taking this ball and I'm running it back. And the Maroons were definitely there to meet him. Mate, it really was. Like, I always think back to that play and think, fuck me, that was courageous. I mean, if you look at that New South Wales team and you go 1-17 and you say, hey, who's the bloke that's going to start a stink? I think he would be number 17, wouldn't he? Almost definitely. I mean, it's like walking across the street when you know you're going to be hit by a car. Such is the feeling when you're sprinting a football back at Sam Friday, Matt Scott, Corey Parker... um, and the likes of Queensland, and, and you know they're hungry for a bit. They they weren't coming up to shake his hand or congratulating for taking the high ball. They were coming for blood. Um, and I remember as soon as he was tackled, it was Justin Hodges right in there. There was half a sniff of a fight, and Hodge said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm getting involved in this." And you could tell Gidley was like, "Can we just play footy?" I mean, seriously. But um, so courageous. He knew it was coming, and, and he took the high ball regardless. Tell you what, it, it was a bit of a mismatch, the first four guys that were there, Kurt, Kirk Gidley and Ben Cray up against Hodjo and Sam Thide. If it's a street fight, I know who I'm betting on. <laughs> yes, most definitely. Poor Kirk Gidley. Came to a knife fight with a spoon, unfortunately, in New South Wales. Mate, uh, let's dive into the two middles that we've got on our bench. And the first guy uh, played for Newcastle and for the Manly Seagulls, featured in the 2001 side in the front row. Another guy that I think if you got... General punters to name their best Newcastle side, they probably forget about Josh Perry, but I'm confident that all Newcastle fans would remember him every day of the week. Yeah, Josh Perry's probably another one of those players like the other front row selected in Tony Butterfield that's probably uh, a little bit underappreciated, I would say, by rugby league fans in general. But Knights know his impact. Came in around 2000, played in the 2001 grand final, you know, went on to play for country reps. Um, that season and then you know his consistency over the next few years slowly saw him work his way into the New South Wales Blues side um, can't remember how many games he played off the top of my head but um, a great player that provided a lot of great service there for the night and another guy as well you know he obviously left Newcastle in 07 he went straight to the Manly Seagulls and they won in 2008 so a guy that won two premierships as a front rower it's a damn good knock, in my opinion. A very impressive career from Josh Perry, a very underrated fella. Mate, uh, our other front rower, and this is our only guy from the modern-day side, and I'm sure probably a lot of people would probably be thinking, oh, it's David Clemmer. Mate, we've gone for Daniel Saifiti, and I just think what he's done over the last few years has been unbelievable, and what he did in the first few years when this team was getting slapped from pillar to post for years, and you'd probably know better than me, but from memory, I felt like this kid was 18 years old at this time, and he stepped up, and he just copped pounding after pounding after pounding. He stood with the Newcastle Knights the entire time, and 
now, mate, I, I mean, outside of Caelan Ponga, I, I think he's probably their best player. I definitely think he is as well. And I think he's grown into a leader. And I think if I told a lot of people that Daniel Saifidi is only 25, he has over 100 games for the night. Wow. People might not necessarily realize that. You know, he came in as, I think, an 18-year-old, maybe 19-year-old. He was very, very young. And he debuted with Jacob as well, which I personally thought was awesome. Um, I remember it was against my Titans. And they were the first twins to ever debut together in the history of professional Australian rugby league. So they'll always hold that near and dear to their heart. But he's a player that when the Knights were struggling, he was their shining light. I remember they won the, the wooden spoons for several years in a row and it was all doom and gloom in Newcastle. But Knights fans always look to these young young um, Fijian twins they had in Daniel and Jacob Saifid and they always felt that they were going to be something special and that there was a future at the club. In a time where Knights fans were turning up every week and they were so passionate and they didn't have too much to look forward to because the reality was they were losing majority of games. They had these young brothers and they were a staple of light. And then since then, you know, he's gone on to represent the Blues seven times and become a club co-captain at only 25. I believe he just re-signed with the club. Yeah, I'm not too sure how long, but he, he did re-sign with the club. And you know, if, if we look into a future reality here where Daniel Seifert is still playing when he's 30, maybe 34 years old, he could have very well been the Knights captain here for 10 years. So... He went from where he was at a club where he was the the future, and now he's the present because he is one of their very best players. And I think, mate, if you have a look at him right now, as you said, 25 years old, he's already played seven games for New South Wales. I think that as long as Brad Fittler is the coach and New South Wales are you know reasonably successful, which I think they will be for quite some time, I think this guy is going to be one of the first picked for quite some time. He could quite easily knock over 20, 25 games for New South Wales. I think he definitely could as well. 25 years old, he's still very, very young. And I, I do remember, actually, now we're talking of origin. Um, game two, 2019, uh, the Blues, uh, the Maroons, I believe they had a big win in, in Suncorp, and the Blues had to make changes. And all of a sudden, Brad Fittler came out with one of his left field selections that he does every now and then, and it was Daniel Saifidi. And everyone's saying, well, hold on, he's not ready. He came into camp, was mentored by his club teammate, David Kramer, and now you would argue and probably win that argument that he's better than David Klemmer. Oh, mate, I, I I don't think anyone would push back on you if you were to say that now. But, geez, I, I remember at the time, the backlash was unreal. All the shit that Brad Fittler copped at the time. And then you fast forward 12 months later, and he was in everyone's team, and it was there was there was no question around it. It's It's been an incredible rise by Daniel Saifidi. And, you know, credit to Brad Fittler as well. He backed his gut in on that one, and, geez, he proved to be spot on. It was absolutely perfect. Mate, let's move to the last guy on our bench. And, you know, we obviously have our utility in Kirk Gidley, our, our two middles in Saifiti and Josh Perry. This guy is one of my favorite players of all time. And I think that there's not a team ever that wouldn't be better off for having Bo Scott in their side. Just an intimidator, a guy that um, obviously Wayne Bennett brought with him. It was like at that similar time to Jeremy Smith. In fact, we originally had these two sort of as our lock forward. We couldn't really pick and choose between them. We ended up putting Bo Scott back to our bench. He played less games for Newcastle than Jeremy Smith did, but the impact he had in those short few years, which, you know, were 2013 when they went all the way to the prelim final, an unreal season. Then, you know, dare I say that sort of that 14, 15 kind of derailed a little bit by the Alex McKinnon situation, which sort of tore the club in half. It was devastating to watch, but Bo Scott, he was a true leader the entire time he was there. And Bo Scott was always one of those players that would turn up and he, he was an enforcer. And, you know, 
Bo Scott's role for the Blues there for so many years was to try to disrupt Jonathan Thurston. And, you know, whether that was through legal or illegal, late tackles, whatever it was, Bo Scott was your man for the job because he was a hit man that would go hard from minute zero to minute 80. Um, during his time at the club, he did play for the Blues, obviously. He played in the Four Nations for Australia. He was the NRL All-Stars captain in 2015 as well, which was his um, final year at the Knights. And I, I think Knights fans won't hold a grudge against him. I don't believe he actually wants to leave the Knights. Um, he still had two years running on his deal, um, but it was uh, it was for compassionate grounds. Uh, his son required medical assistance um, at a hospital, which was in Sydney at the time. So obviously the travel from Newcastle to Sydney was um, a burden there. So I don't think too many Knights fans would hold anything against him for leaving the club there. I don't think too many fans in general could argue his impact at the club whilst he was there. And of course, mate, like the two guys that we couldn't split, Bo Scott and Jeremy Smith, two guys that Wayne Bennett, when he was going to Newcastle, thought, you know what, I need two guys to be the leaders in the pack. And th- th- those are the two guys that he took with him. Obviously, also took Darius Boyd, took Alex McKinnon as well, which says a lot about Alex McKinnon. I think we forget how much of a good footballer he was. Yeah, he was a great leader. I think a lot of people don't realise also he was the under-20s captain there for the Australian Kangaroos and he was always sort of earmarked as a, a future representative player. And so when you put Alex McKinnon's name next to genuine representative players for Australia and New Zealand in both Scott and Jeremy Smith and he's the man that Wayne Bennett targeted, I think it's a magnificent compliment. Mate, a number of really talented guys that have missed this side. One for me was Owen Craigie. I absolutely loved him, but... We couldn't leave out McDougal or Gidley. You could you could tell me that Owen Craigie never reached his full potential as well, but I thought he was unreal. And I guess from the modern team, mate, Caelan Ponga, another one that's probably been unlucky not to miss it. I'll be very interested to see if we come back in 10 years' time, whether we're going Robbie O'Davis or, or KP. And if we are going to go KP, mate, you can go and tell Robbie I'm sure as fuck not going to. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, it will be very, very interesting. Some other players that um, fans of the Knights will probably... Well, not fans, not fans of rugby league, or I mean, Knights fans will definitely remember some of these players. Uh, from some of our other honourable mentions, we've got Caelan Fong, we spoke about him. Someone like Matt Parsons could be in this side. Someone like Bill Pedden or Peden, sorry. Um, Chris Houston could be in this side. Maybe Sione Mataudia. He did play for Australia there as a teenager during his time at the Knights. Someone like Mark Hughes could potentially be yeah. in this side. And then someone maybe like a Dane Gagai. There is an argument, you know, he, he was um, a very, very good player during his time at the Knights, but I do think um, he was sort of, went to a new level for the Maroons, especially during that period. Clarky, mate, thanks for joining us once again to knock over the Newcastle Knights side. Thoroughly enjoyed going this through this one, a champion side. Mate, uh, we're going to do another one of these over the next few days, so look forward to having you back on then. Thanks, Gary. Absolute pleasure. Love being here for these. And for our listeners, the next club we'll be looking at is the North Queensland Cowboys. Obviously, they've got the premiership in 2015. They've got a rich history, a lot of legends of the club. So that'll be another one we look forward to uh, having you on. Look forward to it, brother. We'll see you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 